out this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's verses 1 to 6. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. It says, Judging Others is the title. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces." That's our reading, and that's what Gail is going to be speaking to us from later on. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, there is a lot to praise you for this morning. There's a lot to uh, give thanks to you. We are so aware that this morning we take a breath because you, Father, are sustaining this world and give us the air to breathe. Every breath, Lord, is from you, is a gift from you, so we praise you. And Father God, we just want to give you thanks so much for, um, for the health and restoration of Rebecca. And we praise you for that. That is a work of your healing hand. And Father God, we just um, ask that you continue to restore her to full health um, over the coming months that it might take for her to get back there. And Father God, we also want to pray for those uh, other members of our congregation that are, that are sick this morning, uh, that are either physically sick or mentally strained, emotionally hurt um father god we just ask that you'd be with us this morning be with these people father father god may you um, be ministering healing their body father god may you be uh, making your presence known to them may they cry out to you father and father god we just um, ask that as we continue to worship you this morning as we continue to sing praise to you father father god that you would be glorified Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you encourage us to live more for the praise of your name? We ask this uh, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Wendy. By the way, I love that shirt. Where did you get it from? (laughs) Let's pray. Loving Father, we just want to come before you now and we give you glory and praise that you did create us absolutely uniquely, each and every one of us. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we're just in awe of the fact that you have a heart for every single one of us no matter what our gender is, no no matter what our background is, no matter where we are, your agenda is that we will grow to become more and more like you, Jesus, each of us in our own unique way. 
And I just pray that as we come to look at this passage this morning, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount and the, the incredible truths that we have learned about this sermon, this incredible sermon that is actually life-giving. They're, they're life truths that guide us on the road in our lives. And so today, as we come to look at how we are to treat each other, how we are to relate to each other, Lord, I just pray that it's not going to be me speaking here, but it'll be your Holy Spirit just enlightening each one of us through the precious word that you have given to us about how your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Guide us in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've entitled this sermon, Remember Your Johari Window, and you will understand that hopefully by the end of the sermon. Okay. So Phil's read the um, scriptures for us, fantastic scriptures. Do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Pretty harsh words. Sorry, I'll just go back one. Go forward one. Well, if I was to tell you that there was a man and he was a liar, but God blessed him and he became the father of the nation of Israel, would you know his name? Jacob. If I was to tell you about a man who was a murderer, but God chose him to lead Israel out of bondage in Egypt, would you know his name? If I was to tell you that there was a man that was led astray by his own passions, he was chosen by God as a judge of Israel and held up as an example of faith in Hebrews 11, would you know his name? Samson. If I was to tell you that there was a prostitute, but she was used to protect Israel, and became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Would you know her name? If I was to tell you there was a man who committed adultery and murder, God still called him a man after his own heart. If I was to tell you there was a man who was a despised tax collector, which today would be the equivalent of a drug dealer, he became one of Jesus' 12 disciples and wrote a gospel. Would you know his name? And if I was to tell you there was an impulsive man, an uneducated fisherman, and he became a leader in the early church, would you know his name? And if I was to tell you there was a man and he was a murderer and a persecutor of early Christians, he was forgiven 
He was changed and he was impassioned by the amazing grace of God. He was renamed Paul, but he became the greatest missionary ever. And he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Would you know his name? Saul. So what if I was to gather right now in front of you all of these people, a prostitute, a tax collector, a murderer, an adulterer, a man that was led astray by his passions, and I I was to line them all up in front of you here today, I wonder how you would view them. I wonder how you would judge them. What would be going through your minds? Would you be saying, which I would be guilty of saying, how could these people be used for the kingdom of God? What hope have they got? Would you be saying that? You know, today's sermon is about how God sees our heart, not the outward appearances or the behaviours that we have. God sees our hearts and he has a redemptive plan for each and every one of us. But he cautions us in this text to be a certain way towards the Davids, towards the Sauls, towards the Rahabs. He cautions us to not judge. What does it mean to not judge? Well, I think we need to understand what it is not first because this gets so many Christians into trouble. We think we should never, ever say anything discerning about anyone. But it is not to suspend discernment. To not judge does not mean we do not discern how people are. In fact, the reason that we know it's not that we are to not suspend discernment is in the very same passage in verse 6. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying The pearls are the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the living word of God. It is the good news. And Jesus is saying we need to have a discerning spirit to wisely and objectively appraise someone. And if they are going to treat the precious word of God, the precious precious good news, the gospel, with mockery, and disgrace, then we are not to keep taking that good news to those people unless the gospel is maligned, lest it is somehow cheapened. So in this very same passage, Jesus is saying, I want you to be discerning about others. I want you to appraise them not with a critical spirit, but objectively, critically. You need to do that. So in this instance, to judge does not mean we are to suspend discernment. And it's also, it doesn't mean 
that we are to turn a blind eye to other people's faults. It doesn't mean that. You know, if someone is continuing to harm you or hurt you or, or, or diminish you in some way or diminish others, that's a fault. And we need to be objectively discerning about that and we can't turn a blind eye. In fact, in Matthew 18, it says that if a brother sins against us, we are to go to him and talk to him and trying to resolve it person to person. So we're not to turn a blind eye. To judge does not mean to turn a blind eye. And to... And in that, we are meant to challenge sometimes and confront. And we're to confront truth and error. We're to be discerning about that. We can't live a lie as children of the living God. We can't live in denial and we can't live in pretense. We must be able to discern evil from good. No, to not judge does not mean to not be discerning, to not suspend a a critical evaluation of a person's behaviour. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that last word there, we are not to be censorious. That is actually the word that is actually unpacked from that word judge. We are not to be censorious. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean to not be censorious? Well, censorious is basically a person that is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible slant on their motives and is ungenerous and unforgiving towards their mistakes. That is what do not judge means in this scripture. And worse than this, to be censorious, like a censor, you know, when we get our ratings on our movies and we get a a PG and an M and an MA, um, 15, a censor actually labels those movies and they make a judgment. And censor actually comes from the word censorious. But in this context, it's much harsher than that. It's actually becoming God yourself. It's actually you sitting in judgment of another person like a Rahab, like a Paul, like a Peter, like a Matthew, and saying, well, God's never going to use them in the kingdom of God. Just forget it. They're absolutely wiped. There's no hope, no hope for these people. That's being censorious. And Jesus is saying, do not judge. James 4.12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? We are not meant to be God. You know, I think of Paul and I think of how many, many times, perhaps all of his life, he must have carried around in his heart that sense 
that he was such a man that persecuted the early Christians, that actually took delight in seeing their suffering. And then on the road to Damascus, this incredible light came and this incredible word from God spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who who is speaking to me, Lord? Who is it, my Lord? He said, is this Jesus? I. It is Jesus. Imagine Saul becoming Paul, being transformed from a persecutor and one who denied Jesus Christ to becoming a man that was so greatly used by Jesus Christ. Imagine that transformation. Imagine what must have happened in his heart to move from that to there. From being a judge, from being a critic, from actually sizing up a person because of their faith and pronouncing death and judgment to someone who more than anyone else knew the depth of grace that was needed in his own heart to be restored, to become a Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 to 5, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Paul knew what it was like to judge and he more than anyone else knew the incredible redeeming grace of what it means to actually go from being a judge to being judged and to being forgiven. And we know in the next uh, passage that not only are we not to judge but we are among the judged and shall be judged. The scriptures say, judge not that you will be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged and the measures you give will be the measures you get. I remember one day, uh, well, actually, it was probably nearly 20 years now, Um, It was just not long after I'd become a Christian and I was asked to go to um, a conference in Sydney with a woman in my church that I perceived as an elder of the church and this lady I was a little bit intimidated by, I have to tell you, and I was really a bit in fear of her and so being the sort of people pleaser that I was, she asked me, did I want to go? And I said, yes. And I didn't really want to go, but I went anyway. And while we were in this crowd, a man came up to this lady I was with. And I believe, honestly, he had a gift of prophecy. And he looked at the woman I was with and he said, you have a critical spirit. And I was a young Christian and I thought, whoa, what's he going to say to me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I won't tell you what he said to me. (laughs) Um, 
but I thought about that and you know what? He was absolutely true. And that's a terrible thing to say in some ways, but it was truth. Critically, objectively, this lady had a very strong critical spirit. And this is what Jesus is saying here, is that if you have a critical spirit, you will judge others harshly. And by that same measure that you judge and that you criticise, you will be judged and you will be criticised. The rational is, rationale is clear. If we pose as judges, we cannot plead ignorance of the law we claim to be able to administer. In another way of saying it, if we enjoy occupying the bench, we must not be surprised to find ourselves in the dock at some stage. Paul said in Romans 2.1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, whoever you are, when you judge another, for in passing judgment upon him, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. When we were away and you saw some of the photos last week, this group of ladies were rescued from prostitution and many of them have AIDS. But now God is helping them with small mini businesses, small businesses to earn a living, an income that will support them and sustain them so they don't have to prostitute themselves. You know, when our team looked at them, do you know, we just saw God in their faces. We didn't see their life before they, became, they came to know him. We didn't see the Rahabs. We saw what Jesus saw in their hearts. And, and they are the most amazingly faithful women. God has taken them from the pit and transformed them. So what does Jesus mean by what are we meant to do when, we, when he says, do not judge? What are we meant to do instead? Well, Jesus says we're to show mercy to others first. We're to be merciful. You know, judging has so much to do with our heart. It has everything to do with the state of our heart. And, and what we're meant to do is to have our heart continually transformed by the Holy Spirit in Jeremiah 17.9, it says the heart is deceitful above all things. It really is. We can be blind to our own shortcomings, our own faults. And so the first thing we need to do because we can't trust our hearts is to immediately show mercy first to someone else. In Proverbs 4.23, it's one of my favourite scriptures. It says, above all else, above all else. That's a powerful statement, above all else. Guard your heart because we know it can be deceitful. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. 
Are you going to bring life into your relationships, to how you view people, or are you going to bring death by pronouncing judgment? We need to learn to forgive each other so much more. And we need to be generous to people. Too often we're not generous, we're small, we're small-hearted. And Jesus has a lot to say about that and we'll talk about that in a moment, about the plank in our own eye and we see the speck in someone else's. But often we're small-hearted. And Jesus commands us to remove, can't read that from here, and correct our reprove. Sorry, see, I need glasses. To reprove our brother or our sister. That's what he's really saying here. He's really saying, do not judge censoriously or you too will be judged by the measure that you judge others. But you are meant to critically evaluate and at times reprove a sister or a brother. So to sum up, the commandment to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but a plea to be generous, but also to be discerning. And then Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Jesus tells us his famous little parable about foreign bodies in people's eyes. Specks of dust on the one hand and logs or beams on the other. And Jesus cautions us more than that, commands us to stop meddling with other people's faults and get serious about our own faults. He says, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, first look at yourself. And he draws an analogy to another parable in Luke 18, 9 to 14, where he said this, there once were two men going up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand ostentatiously and began to pray before and um, to himself and before God. He said, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men. I'm not extortionist. I'm not a swindler. I'm not an adulterer or even like this tax collector here. Like Matthew, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I gain. But the tax collector, standing at a distance, would not even lift his eyes towards heaven, but kept striking his breast, saying, Oh God, be favourable to me. I am an especially wicked sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, This man went down to his home justified rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So there is a great importance 
to examine ourselves. So this is where the Jahari window comes in. Hope you can read that. Yep. The Jahari window is used in psychology to help us understand our blind spots because when we judge others, we have blind spots. We all have them. I have them. Every one of you has got blind spots. And the first thing we need to know is that up on the top right-hand side, we need to know that there are not too many blind spots in this quadrant. There are things I know about myself and things that others know about me. And God willing, that, that's a healthy place to be. We're open, we're transparent, we're honest. If we make mistakes, if we have faults, we pray to God, we ask forgiveness, we go and seek out another to ask forgiveness. It's a healthy quadrant to be. The second one across on the left, the top, they're things I know about myself, but they're things others don't know about me. And this quadrant here can be just as healthy because there are some things you don't want to share with others. There's also a dangerous quadrant because we can be tempted to hide things from others. And this is the one where we need to continually come before Jesus and say, Lord, I know this about myself. I know I keep repeating this sin. I know I keep doing this behaviour. Please, Lord, I know I keep thinking this bad thought about this person. Lord, please, I come before you. I ask your forgiveness. I surrender this. Change me, mould me, make me grow more and more like you. Wendy, this morning, that beautiful song, it says, in this place I will grow. And I said, amen. I love a Christian that wants to grow and be transformed. It can be a really healthy quadrant. But look at the bottom two. The top, the bottom left says, the things I don't know about me, but the things others know about me. That can be a really tough quadrant because this is really addressing this particular scripture. First, go and look at the plank that is in your own eye. You don't know the plank. You can't see it yet you certainly see the speck in someone else's eye and someone else knows that you see the speck in their own eye. We need to be continually searching ourselves. One of the greatest scriptures you will ever learn in the Bible, one that will absolutely transform your life if you are prepared to apply it to your life, is from Psalm 139, verse 23. And it says, search me, search me. Not search the other person, search me, O God, and know my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Out of the above all else, guard your heart, for out of it comes the wellspring of life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there is any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love that scripture. It is a blueprint for living the victorious life. It is what we have to know about our Johari window. Search me, Lord. There are things I don't know about me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within me. Let that which is hidden within me come into consciousness so I can repent, so I can ask forgiveness, so I can be released and I can live the way of everlasting life. Powerful, powerful scripture. So the Johari window, things I don't know about me and things others don't know about me. I'm totally blind and so are others. If you, and and I say all of us, are living in that bottom half, then part of our daily application to this word about judging others is every day we have to come before Jesus and we have to say, search me, Lord, know my heart. See if there is any offensive way within me. What do I have to do? Do I have to go and approach a brother and a sister, point out an offence in a gentle and loving way? Or do I have to ask forgiveness for an offence that I have done to them? Do you really realise how incredible the Christian church would be, truly, if we did that? Do you really realise how incredible your lives would be? There would be nothing that God could not do with you if your blind spots were no longer blind. Two things to wind up on. Actions towards yourself, therefore, and actions towards others. Actions towards yourself, The first thing we have to do is Psalm 139. And then we need to take ownership of our faults. So often we hear people and we do it ourselves that it was someone else's fault. It was never my fault. And we've got to take responsibility for what we have to own, for our own faults, for our own sins. And we have to deal with our own acceptance issues. I want to read you something from a book from Cloud and Townsend called How People Grow. Fantastic book. Everybody should read it. And it's called Deal with Acceptance Problems as Internal Issues. If you find someone who has a hard time accepting weaknesses in others, and constantly criticises or judges, this person may have a judged aspect of his own soul that he cannot tolerate. Is that too kind of hard? Do you want me to say that again? If you find someone who has a hard time accepting weaknesses, or in other words, is constantly criticising, like that lady that, a critical spirit, what might be happening 
is that actually within their heart, we've been talking about the heart, they have felt so judged themselves in their life that they can't tolerate that. And so they kind of, it's called project. They put that onto someone else because they can't bear to look at the own, their own judged parts in their own heart. Does that make sense? It happens. So, for example, someone might get upset by another person's neediness. So you might be with someone and you're feeling like, oh, I just wish this person would get a life, you know? And you might be finding that your reactions are, I, I just oh, can't, can't this person get over it? And what might actually be happening is that you might be actually critical of your own issues of dependency in your own life. You might be highly critical of your own neediness and your inability to acknowledge that, to see that, to have that come to light is actually transferred onto someone else. Does that make sense? That, that's a psychology lesson, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's true and it happens. And this is why God says we must search our hearts. There's an old adage, wounded people wound others. Does that make sense? And so the only way that we can move out of our woundedness is, and our guilt is to know that we've been forgiven. But we have to acknowledge it first so we don't judge others. And we need to partner with the Holy Spirit to help us. Do you know the Holy Spirit searches our hearts? These are all in Scripture. And he shows us how we need to change. Do you know the Holy Spirit shows us truth and teaches us? Do you know the Holy Spirit counsels us and helps us? Do you know the Holy Spirit helps us to live the life we need? Do you know the Holy Spirit will fill us and control us? Do you know that the Holy Spirit will correct us and convict us? They're just some of the things the Holy Spirit will do. Isn't it wonderful? I wonder why we take so long to ask the Holy Spirit to get real with us so we won't judge so that we'll be aware of our Johari window. But, you know, sometimes we just might find that in spite of all of these points, we still struggle with a sense of criticising others, of judging others, and it might come out of our own woundedness. And I am going to wind up, but... Um, Wendy and I were talking about, we kind of had a bit of a, we didn't have communion this morning, we, we had a bit of a light on service, so we thought it would be great at some point in the service to highlight someone that was in ministry that you might not know about. And I just love being able to share what people are doing in this body. And so rather than doing that at some other point in the service, I just thought I'd ask Mary 
Mary Miles, to come on up. And I'm going to do it now. So I don't want anyone leaving and saying, Gail spoke for 40 minutes, because this should have been at another point in the service. So Mary, come up. And I'm just going to ask Mary a couple of questions, but it's in relation to this last point, that sometimes we need to get some help so that we can become aware of that second half in our lives. So Mary, she's feeling very nervous. I do. I'm just going to ask you some questions. And it's in relation to this and getting help. Mary, tell us briefly. That won't be a problem. <laughs> about yourself. Briefly about me. Yes, about you. Okay, I'm Mary and I live at How Long and I have three wonderful sons and a wonderful husband. And I have been teaching for 30 years. And when I came to this church, God called me to step out and do something different, which was to go to Melbourne every week and to be trained in counselling. And so that's what I've done. Okay. So, Mary, when do you finish that? At the end of the year. Praise God. It's four years you've been doing that? Yes. Four years every Friday, down and back on the one day, being trained to do Christian counselling. So, Mary, what are you doing with that? I'm here every Monday um, over in Flat 5 and I counsel people, which means that on a Monday people make an appointment to come over and see one of us to help them process what's going on in their lives, to help them bring to light what is happening for them it may be something from the past, it might be something from the present. It's usually something that's in a relationship that's brought them to counselling. However, it brings it out and we can help them and enable them to unravel it and to look at it and so that they can be whole and so that they can be everything that God wants them to be. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? I just want to pray for Mary because she has been, to me, a, a wonderful support but also just a fantastic servant of God, her and her husband, Jerry, to give up her job as a teacher. Really, it's a call. It's a call to sacrifice and to be used by God in a way that God has uniquely gifted this woman. So can we do that? Let's pray for Mary. Loving Jesus, we just come before you now and we thank you so much for servants like Mary that have felt the call on their life to grow themselves, to change themselves and to be equipped for service to help others grow, to help others change, to help others move out of their blind spots, of their um, hurts, of their wounding so that they can be free so that they can be released. And I just pray that as Mary continues to, to just follow the call that is on her life and your Holy Spirit speaking to her, I just pray that she will know your blessing and that she will continue to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
child himself. His mother died two years later. He failed in business at age 22. He ran for state legislature and lost. He lost his job and wanted to go to law school but was refused admission. He borrowed money from a friend, went bankrupt and spent the next 17 years paying it back. He ran for legislature and won. His fiancée died. He had a nervous breakdown at age 27. Sought to become Speaker of the State Legislature, age 29, was defeated. Sought to become elected, defeated. Ran for Congress, lost. His young son died. He ran for Congress and won. Ran for re-election and lost. Sought for his job as land officer, was rejected. Ran for Senate at age 46, lost. Sought Vice Presidential nomination, age 47, lost. Ran for Senate again, lost. And then, at the age of 51, he was elected as the United States President. Gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? A wonderful, wonderful man. Abolished slavery in, in the States. Just a wonderful man. His name? Abraham Lincoln. I wonder how we would have viewed him wonder how we would have seen that man. Would we have thought that he had any chance of becoming the greatest president of the United States? Would we? wonder how we would have viewed each one of these people, a Peter, a Saul, a Matthew, a David, a Samson, a Moses, a Jacob, how would we have viewed them? We are not meant to judge. Instead, we are meant to love God completely. We are meant to learn to remove in a gentle way someone else's little speck. But first, we need to look at the log in our own eyes. Galatians 6 says that we must uh, approach our brother and restore him gently. We're meant to learn to reprove in a gentle way. We're meant to have integrity and honesty. We're meant to encourage and we're meant to check out our own Johari window. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you teach us from your word all that you want us to learn, mostly about ourselves and the state of our hearts. I just pray now that for every one of us, we will continue to do that. Lord, I want to pray too for those that who aren't well. I want to pray for dear Judy Mitchell's brother, who has inoperable cancer, we just want to bring him before you and we want to pray, Jesus, that you would... That uh, I was just praying about that this morning and thinking, why is that word inoperable there? Everything is possible with you, Lord Jesus, everything. Nothing is impossible. So we're going to pray for this man's healing and we thank you, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are the God that is able to heal. Oh, Lord, we pray 
for this man. We continue to pray for dear Tricia. Oh, Lord, we pray for healing for this woman. Lord Jesus, continue to to, um, strengthen her as she undergoes this new phase of treatment, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much once again for the restoration of Beck. Lord, we pray for all of those who are struggling here today with personal issues, with heart issues, with critical issues, critical issues of the heart. We just pray that today they might be resolved to leave this place knowing that there is freedom when you reveal to them the state of their heart. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much that you love us, that you want us to be so whole. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We're also going to um, take up the offering now and I just pray that you want to give from a heart that is truly grateful and truly surrendered to our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we just want to give him everything, don't we? He's a beautiful, wonderful, incredible God that loves us beyond anything we could ever imagine. So as we come to give, um, just spend a little bit of time to fill in the blue cards. I've got to mention that last week. The blue cards, if you've got a, a request, a prayer request, if you've got something that you want to um, talk about with someone, just spend some time filling that in. And I'm just going to pray now for the offering. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much that we have been given so much. We thank you so much for the incredible blessings that you just shower upon us. And so, out of the wellspring of our heart, we come before you and we want to give back to you in a way that seems very insignificant, but in a way which we pray will help to bring the kingdom of God here that is in heaven, here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.